I'm waiting to hear back, but it's like, do you want to try the... I can't even remember what it's called. The, you can't talk about it until CES. <laughs> it's like, well, I'll, I'll try it, yeah. They're like, you can tweet that you did and that you're excited to talk about it. It's like, I'd probably just try it and not tweet about it, but I'll certainly try it. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, we got another really nice, big, hulking grab bag of tech news for you. We got some Pixel 8 leaks, I think the first real substantive leak that we've seen so far, just a month and a bit out of the Pixel 7 launch. We have some YouTube music and YouTube premium numbers that are pretty surprising. Are they? I think they I also are. think so. <laughs> uh, MediaTek has a new chip and it's taking on the upcoming Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. That is the only time I will get that name right in the podcast. So uh, just maybe, Jules, you can just paste over every time <laughs> I get it wrong. And there's a few other tidbits here and there to fill the rest of our time. So as always, joining me on the show, our Wagner, Will Saddleberg. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm good. The hurricane came and went in the night, and not a whole lot happened to me. I'm just tired. Yeah, I was I was worried about you. I I was like I heard that it was coming kind of directly through the Orlando area, but thankfully it's just a Category One, so bad, but could be a lot worse. Any Category hurricane can still wreck shit, and I'm very happy that nothing seems to have been damaged. I haven't gone out and looked at my car yet, but. Apartment is fine. The car looks fine from what I can see from the windows. I don't think there was a whole lot of damage in the greater Orlando area because Disney World reopened its theme park starting at noon today. So that tells you how little the parks were damaged. Well, I shouldn't say that. There is definitely wind damage in certain areas because, I mean, hurricane force winds basically covered from edge to edge of the peninsula at some point last night. But yeah, I mean... This one did seem to sneak up on us. Like, it didn't get nearly as much attention uh, as it, as the one a few weeks ago. We knew it was coming, like, before the weekend. Well, national like, attention. It wasn't yeah. national news. That's the thing. Well, yeah, because it wasn't going to be, like, potentially a Category 5 storm. Also, there was like we, did, we That's fair. There was also that small, small event that happened on Tuesday. Yeah, well, and I mean, also, it's one of those things that the only reason that it's really nationally newsworthy is because this is the latest that a hurricane has actually hit florida in the month of november november is supposed to be the end of hurricane season right yeah it's the fourth hurricane to strike the u.s in 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 november ever so yeah yeah that's crazy democracy ends in november (laughs) but hurricanes stop at the end of october that's 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 the cutoff point (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about you like i that that night like i'm obviously not american so i had I mean, I have less skin in the game than you two, but it is such a profoundly anxious time. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. That idea that you're not going to have results for days, weeks, potentially, is just like unbelievable to me that you basically have to sit. Like if you go to the New York Times homepage right now, you see nothing. You see nobody has crossed a threshold on either side. It is just a profoundly uncomfortable place to be as an observer. Well, and like, <laughs> we're just going back to a runoff. Like, it, like this is over in a month. Either That's way, true. even the if Senate Maricopa County comes through. Then. Yeah. yeah. So what a fun thing we do every 
technically every year, but really every every two, really. It is every, on a national scale. Well, I mean, the electioneering begins the day after every cycle. So yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm actually, yeah, I was going to say you. We don't even get a break. It's going to immediately start going into like primaries and everything. And I'm and everybody's like, oh, Ron DeSantis just won re-election, and now he's going to go for the presidency. And I'm like, can he actually govern for two years? No. Can we get him to govern for two? Mamma mia! Minutes. Sorry, Jules. I hate that you're going to have to bleep that. Jules can cut out the part uh, that I'm about to say now, which is like. <laughs> You can cut that I out mean... so I don't get angry tweets. No, but Twitter's broken, so you're fine. Twitter, oh, you can't, God. you can't, you don't have a check mark, so people can't tweet at you. It'll just get lost in the shuffle. I want everyone to thank every Android Please staff member for for not just making our website twitternews.com and talking about other things. Yeah, honestly, the fact that Twitter over the last week has just been about Twitter. And about how terrible Twitter is while people continue to threaten to leave Twitter while using Twitter is just a remarkably bleak state of events. What was so funny, you know, going back to the election was that on the night of the election, it reminded me how bad Twitter is for real time news, unless you explicitly change it to a chronological feed, which most people don't, because at 10 at night, when I'm expecting live updates, we're getting people talking about things that happened five hours earlier. And it normally isn't a problem until you're following live events and it's just not going well. And I feel like for all of the issues that the company is dealing with right now, and there are many, that thing, that thing about how Elon wants Twitter to be the town square and and everybody to come together to talk about one thing at a given time, it's not even that good at that. Like its core purpose is to show you relevant tweets and it does not do a good job of that when things are timely. So the product that we're all addicted to, or at least I'm addicted to, is fundamentally broken and is just breaking even more in front of our eyes. And it's just a sorry, sorry state of affairs. I will say for like up to the minute breaking events, like when the insurrection happened, I didn't spend as much time on January 6th on Twitter. I spent most of it on Reddit because Reddit live and the ability to have like the instant updates as they're happening and sort through things. It made it easier to follow along with things. It made it easier to find the discussions that were important or at least felt important. And it made it easier to follow along. Twitter is great for the, oh, hey, what happened while I was working or what happened last night when I was actually sleeping instead of, you know, being an insomniac and digital addict. But it's not so great in the like, here's what's happening right now. Unless you switch to chronological and you have followed the right people, basically. Yeah, the the like, algorithm is terrible for what is happening right now, which is very funny because I think if you are not logged into Twitter and you go to their homepage, it says like, what's happening? And, then, like, <laughs> exactly. log- and it's just so funny that it's like, if I log in and I don't change to chronological, I won't know. Like, I'll know what happened 21 hours ago or I'll get the topic well, funny. chronological doesn't help sometimes. Like, yeah. a hurricane hit last night and I have a lot of people that I follow who are in Florida and basically nobody was tweeting about the hurricane. They like were, you just all. weren't seeing it. You're so. not on Florida Twitter. Ugh. Right, hashtag, hashtag yeah. Florida Twitter. You got to be <laughs> no, following I, those I, hashtags. I'm not, I'm not on Florida Twitter. I'm on Walt Disney World Twitter. And that's I mean, the that, only that's the section thing. of Florida Twitter yeah. I want to be in. Mm. If you go back to using Twitter the way it was designed in t- 2007 or 8, when hashtags were brought up, sure, then it works just fine. But then you get all the terrible tweets that are in all the stupid hashtags. So 
Anyway, let's not make yeah. an Android police podcast about Twitter. I knew that we would talk about it a little bit because it is just a complete dumpster fire at the moment. <laughs> but um, yeah, let's talk about pixels yeah. and Androids and all those fun tech things. So, Will, we got our first substantive leak about the Pixel 8 series yeah. through in future. Usually pretty reliable. We got some code names. We got some screen resolutions got a little bit of information about the Tensor G3. Walk us through what we know so far. Yeah, I think it's important to preface that like there is a chance this is not the Pixel 8 and the Pixel 8 Pro. This could be test devices. Uh, Google has a habit of doing that where like you, you'll learn about a code name and then nothing ever comes from it. And it's because it was a essentially like an unreleased mid-generation phone that is using components from the previous year, but new stuff that they're testing. So just prefacing that up front. But that said, if these are the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro, they would be under the code names Husky and Shiba. Google always picks like a theme for their phone code names, and it, both of these are dog breeds. So, like, that fits. They would pack uh, 12 gigabytes of RAM each. So, we're talking flagships. This isn't a, a Pixel 7a situation. We actually think we know which one is the, the Pixel 7a. So, that's to the side. Husky has a display resolution of 28, 22 by 1344. So that would make it the pro model. Shiba has a 1080p resolution. It's 2268 by 1080. That's similar to the Pixel 7. It would mean that there's like slightly different aspect ratios than what we've seen in the past. But that's, you know, again, you're, you're talking like small changes. And at this point, I don't think anyone is really updating year over year. So it wouldn't really matter if you're coming from a Pixel 5 or, or even 6. You would want like a slightly different design. The other big thing here is that there is a new Tensor chip. I don't think anyone is surprised by that. It'll probably be called the Tensor G3 unless Google decides to abandon its brand new naming structure for some reason. Let's just run with Tensor G3. It would be a custom version of the upcoming Exynos 2300. That's not a surprise. Google has been working with Samsung on its chips. Um, it would be a three nanometer node, though, which is a big change from the uh, five nanometer that it's currently using. And it might reuse the same 5G modem from the G2, which was not like a huge, it, it didn't bring the change that I think a lot of people wanted from the Pixel 6 generation. Now, again, it's very early. So like this could be them just like using old hardware in a phone that is a year away to test it. So this is all kind of up in the air still, but that's kind of the base for what these phones are so far. Yeah, you're you're talking about the seven, uh, the the Pixel Eight series, like being sort of a new naming convention from a code name perspective, right? It's like a completely new path. The Seven A is obviously closer to the Seven series than it would be to the Eight, even though the Seven A will come out at some point in twenty twenty three, much closer to the release of the Pixel Eight. That's a development cadence rather than you know somebody branching off and starting a an entirely new project. If you're a project manager, you're sort of used to that idea. Of like we're gonna take this existing project and we're gonna copy it over into a new branch and we're gonna call it something different and we're gonna build on it and that's gonna be a completely separate team. What's really interesting to me is the more we don't hear about issues with the Pixel 7 modems, the more I'm convinced that it's just fine, right? It's not great, it's not Qualcomm level, fantastic, yeah, picks up every tiny signal, but it's not bad the way that the Pixel 6s is and that has proven out over the course of the last month or so as we've just heard 
nothing, <laughs> you know? This would be a massive problem akin to the Pixel 6 by now, as hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have bought the phones and have experienced these issues. Whereas there are some other Pixel 7 issues like the scrolling inertia bug that are picking up steam. We're seeing more and more people complaining about them. So yeah, that's that's just something to think about. I'm not surprised that this would use the same modem, but it's possible, as you said, that it's just using a stand-in for now. Yeah, and, and I, I should mention that the, the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro got their first monthly update this week. Although it's November 10th as we record this, because the first day of November was on a Tuesday, it was as basically as delayed as it can be into the first Monday of the month. But yeah, so that scrolling inertia bug was not fixed, or at least was not in the changelog of that update. I haven't noticed it, which I assume is because I haven't looked for it and I refuse to look for it. I'm also using the smaller Pixel 7 right now anyway, but... Oh, that um, doesn't have it. It's just Pixel I know, that's what Pro. I mean. That's what I mean. So, like, I, 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 I wouldn't have noticed it anyway, but when I reviewed the Pro, I didn't notice it. The noise about it didn't come out until after my review, and I was like, well, if I don't pay attention for it, it's not there. So, I have... <laughs> I have uh, Plausible uh, turn- deniability. Yeah, I have turned on my blinders to be like, I, I, I'm aware it's an issue. I'm not denying it. I just don't want to see it or notice it because then it will be all I notice. Kind of like when I bought a Pixel Two XL, and then everyone was like, "The screen's bad," and I was like, "God damn it, the screen is bad." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Unfortunately, once you experience the inertia bug, you can't really not feel it anymore. It's uh, yeah. It's a magic eye, you know, once you've once you find it, you just it's there haunting your nightmares. See, this is just another reason that the small Pixel 7 is the best. Like the small Pixel is better. The Incorrect. 6 was less bug prone than the 7 or than the 6 Pro. The 7 is less bug prone than the 7 Pro. The 7 if it just had that if it just had the identical camera lineup, I would be like, yeah. don't even bother buying the Pro, but it doesn't and the telephoto is really fun. And the ultra wide is actually ultra wide and it's a bummer. It's just kind of a bummer. Exactly. I use that telephoto on the seven pro enough to justify keeping it in my pocket. I think it was the lens I was using the most when I was using the pro was the telephoto. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really good. It's amazing. I mean, I have no doubts that it's an amazing sensor and granted the wide angle lens on the pixel is trash. Yeah. At least on the seven, because the seven didn't get the fancy new wide angle because Pixel 7 Pro had to get everything. But other than that, like the 7 has a flat screen, so it doesn't have as many issues with screen protectors or with anything, honestly. And we don't have quite as fancy a screen, but that also means we don't have quite as many issues with the screen. And it fits better in your pocket and it fits better for your wallet. So I'm going to try the 7 for a while and I'll report back because why not? What else is there to do these days? <laughs> I mean, y'all can send me a 7 Pro and y'all can try and get me to renounce my claim. I will gladly no, I mean, try I, it. I Pixel think 7 I, Pro out at Disney World. I mostly agree with you on everything, but the it's just the camera. Like, like I actually don't, I almost don't enjoy using the Pro because as much as I like big phones, it, it feels just, just a little too big in my hand. I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening to me. That I'm starting to be like, no, 6.7 inches is actually too big because it was fine for me a couple of years ago but now it's like nah, I, I i'd rather opt for a 6.3 inch screen i don't know yeah yeah I, I i get that all right so other than those small snippets we're still waiting to learn more about the pixel 8 in the meantime we have some news about stadia refunds ara 
we know a little bit more about when and where and how much and all that. So walk us through what we know. Well, for Stadia, there's not really that much to tell since all the refunds are being applied automatically through Stadia's system. So unless you changed credit cards, I think everything just goes back to you eventually. So there's nothing that Stadia owners have to do. I don't even think they have to send the equipment back, right? No, what they do have to do is use the money that they made from the refund to purchase a Steam Deck. I believe that's in the terms of service. <laughs> so No, no. I, I just want to say I am putting my entire Stadia refund amount towards a Steam Deck. So that will save me, let me check, a dollar and seven cents. <laughs> I think it's the sa- around the same for me, too. I apparently bought Borderlands 3 Ultimate Edition when it was like... 10 or 11 bucks and I had a $10 off coupon. It, that is the only game that I spent money on on Stadia. Did not play it, by the way. I haven't touched it. It's just there. So I think I did I did the same thing and and I did play it a little, but it was mm-hmm. too laggy for me to enjoy. That's so like, it. I did start it and this was when I was on Spectrum uh and it just wouldn't work. <laughs> just yeah. did not want to play properly, so I never went back to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, but that's basically my experience too. R.I.P. Anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. It'll just work. It's all good. But... It'll be the one thing about Stadia that just works. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> hell yeah! That's a burn. God, that should have been the headline. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, look, it's happening. January 2023 is coming pretty quickly. I think the interesting part about this is. As we've talked about in previous weeks, Google is making a bigger deal about cloud gaming on Chromebooks. It is also making more of a big deal about Steam on Chromebooks natively. It's just a funny time to be a gamer and also a Google user. Like, it's just weird. They've been trying to get gaming right on Google for for freaking years. What was that? Uh, Because they had another cloud gaming idea what was it, five, six years ago? And it almost got onto the stage at Google I.O. And then it just like everything got scrapped. And then they started over and did Stadia. I'm trying to remember what the name of it would have been. It, it was- wasn't just Project Cloud was was not that. I mean, Project Cloud was Stadia's like beta. Yeah, right? no, it was uh, it was something Google. It was a Google Play game something, I thought. Because uh, internal materials about it got leaked and it showed like, partners and potential pricing and everything was lined up and then it just didn't happen and i'm like that's google's been trying this for a long time and can't get it right and i'm really hoping at least by not being responsible for the streaming bit of it but being like okay we want to have systems that will be compatible with cloud gaming because cloud gaming is the future we want our hardware to support it we want you to be able to get that good experience while still using our products even if we can't get the games right. Yeah, it was called Project Stream, not Project Cloud. But uh, it was, um, you could play Assassin's Creed, like everybody who was part of it. I remember Jerry at AC played it for a while and really, really liked it. But anyway, I mean, it's just, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, I'm sure once Stadia goes away completely, nobody will ever talk about it again. But cloud gaming is, is certainly not going away. It's never, I think, going to be the default. No. No. But... It's not going to go away anytime soon. Well, I mean, we're just used to being able to do everything we want at all times. And cloud gaming is like the natural extension of that. Well, I just think it makes sense for the browser to be a place that you can do computing tasks, right? Like, obviously, native apps 
are going to be more performant, but we live in browsers. We live in the browser in so many other ways. Chromebooks have proven themselves to be adequate containers. The web has proven itself to be an adequate container for so many things. Figma, for instance, the company that just sold to Adobe for 20 or is trying to sell itself to Adobe for $20 billion. It's a web-based design tool. Everything it does is in the browser. Increasingly, you can do more of it. Like Google Home, the Home app has launched a web portal now, right? It's just slowly but surely, you're going to be able to replace native experiences with the web. And while obviously there will be the need for native apps on mobile, on phones and tablets, if you're on a computer, it just increasingly feels like there is no need for a native app, even when you're doing things like playing games. And I know Microsoft made a big deal about it in certain areas of the internet about improving streaming quality for Game Pass on the browser so that it plays better on iOS, it plays better on the Steam Deck, it plays better in certain places where it's limited. And basically, the only reason it's limited on those platforms is you can't have a native app on iOS, you can't have a native app on Steam Deck. So they have to try to make it work. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably the last time we'll talk about Stadia on the show. So like RIP, I'm willing to let it go. But so uh, this is the last time I'm going to apologize for that crack earlier, just because I don't want that to be the last thing I don't. ever say about Stadia. No, you no, should. We'll- no, no, absolutely not. I refuse to let you say that. You, you, Stadia has gone out in like a blaze of, I wouldn't say glory, but it's gone out. Um, it's gone out in a blaze of infamy. Yeah. And, and like you might as well just own it that like it was mishandled. Yeah. It was a good product that was never run well and well yeah commercially saw this coming right this was never a like i remember in 2019 when it became stadia and it wasn't project stream anymore uh stream or now i don't even remember what you said was the right one (laughs) yeah okay uh one of the most frequent questions when they did those like reddit amas was like hey what happens if it dies because no one who wasn't a diehard i'm a hundred percent in on the future of gaming let's go person was like we know you google you kill things you're well, literally at this point it's self-fulfilling prophecy it dies because nobody trusts that it's not going and to that's die. just google's fault that's nobody else's fault and it sucks that like a bunch of interesting ideas have died because of that and will continue to die because if anything the stadia death hurts it even more it's probably the most impactful to that reputation as anything like eh. you know it's a web store and inbox were the most influential google yeah but this was like you were and i understand they're giving full refunds back but this was people giving like 60 dollars for games versus like you paid eight to ten dollars a month for music streaming or like inbox you didn't pay anything i'm as sad as anyone about inbox still but it wasn't like a financial transaction the way stadia was so now if in 2025 google starts offering I don't know, some other kind of web store where you are doing transactions, but if the service shut down, you would no longer be able to use it and you would lose at worst money or at least time and data. No one's going to want to sign up for it because Stadia is there and we already know how that happened. Yeah. A thought has occurred to me of like mishandling of Google products and God, imagine if Inbox had just become a paid service instead of dying completely, like just separate it from Gmail and make it a subscription. Because I would have paid for that. The Gmail app is so bad. Yeah. It froze on me yesterday. Again, like it freezes on me like once a week. I just have to like close it and reopen it and find what I was doing. Well, it, it made four drafts while I was trying to respond to an email. It like hung and then just made a bunch of drafts from when I was trying to tap the non-responsive reply button. Very cool. 
So, Ara, let's move on and talk、uh, a bit about this YouTube Music. Yes. Milestone. What are we looking、Speaking、at of here? Google Play Music. <laughs> you,、uh, did I say? What did I say? No, 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 no. Ara just brought up right, Google Play Music. And, yeah, yeah, and I, I had just brought up Google Play Music. And yeah, if if it was still like Google Play Music, or if it had been, even if they had just changed the name but largely kept the same app, I'm willing to bet we would be well over a hundred, maybe to a hundred and twenty million users by now. But instead, Google Play Music, or, or sorry, YouTube Music and YouTube Premium, because they count those numbers together. Because why the hell would you buy YouTube Music Premium and not just YouTube Premium? Oh hey, now with the price difference, that actually makes YouTube Music Premium actually makes some sort of sense. Well, just family plans. Well, yeah, that's it's just family plans for now. But yeah, the number of people who are subscribed to YouTube Premium and YouTube Music is now eighty million, which. Considering how few subscriptions the services had, like three years ago, or God, was it five years ago? Whenever they announced YouTube Music, at this point, was it 2018 that they relaunched YouTube Music, or 2019? I thought it was 18. I was getting on a plane from LA when they announced this. I want to say it was May 2018. That's my shot in the dark. Yeah, no, you're right, 2018, because I hadn't moved here yet. Yes. Yeah, but it's been five years, and we're still only to 80 million subscribers. That's even more shocking for YouTube Premium, considering the value YouTube Premium has. Like ad-free YouTube is just a straight-up addictive. Well, but so that's my question: Is this people signing up for music or for premium? Because we don't have exact numbers for who's only on the music tier versus the premium tier. How often? Like, I am a YouTube Premium member, and therefore I am a YouTube Music member, and I don't use YouTube Music unless I need to open it for work. So. What do you guys think? Which of these services is leading these subscriptions? Well, premium. I'm trying to. Yeah, I think it's, it's premium it's, too. It's, it's absolutely premium because premium.、Uh, yeah. premium is the thing that people will use more, even if they do use YouTube Music like I do. The features in YouTube Music are nice. The features in YouTube Premium are required. <laughs> I agree. Like being able to play a video while you look at something in another app and just listen to it, or being able to download a video and watch it offline. Is a godsend, and that's on top of the getting rid of ads, which is ads on YouTube are so bad I could not even fathom going back. My partner and I watched the nearly four-hour-long deep dive into、uh, the Evermore theme park that popular YouTuber Jenny Nicholson uploaded over the weekend. I would recommend people watch it; it's really good. But it is also nearly four hours long, and I cannot imagine <laughs> the ads. <laughs> if you if I didn't have premium and、uh, we were watching that like every ten minutes you'd have like a it, oh it I, wouldn't I, even be ten minutes isn't it five these days I have no idea I don't know I haven't had ads since premium launched I have no idea、um, wait sorry well I, an Evermore Nevermore theme park like Evermore like the Taylor Swift album which、yeah. is it's covered it's covered in the video <laughs> sorry there's a theme park based on the album. No, no it, it's an it's unrelated.、Mm. It's an unrelated theme park. It, Daniel, you'll never have four hours to watch this. So, <laughs> let me tell you, tell I've you tried like, to watch Get Back, which is six hours. It is. It's since, very long since it launched in January, or la- was it last year? At some point, yeah, because I watched it when I was six. So I think it was like around. I think it was around Thanksgiving last year. Okay, so it's been out for a, almost a year. I've only watched two hours of the six-hour. Beatles documentary and、Same. the Beatles are probably among my favorite bands of all time. So yeah, I don't yeah. think I'll ever watch. A, I, I I'm very curious about what this is though. I was gonna say I can tell you. I'll give you thirty seconds off mic, or I'll 
DMU and Slack or something because it is interesting, but it's, you know, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I watched the first episode of Get Back, which is two hours, and I was like, that was really good, and then just never got back to it. Never got back to it. Anyway. Well done. Yeah. You're fired. Thank you. I stumbled. Did you guys hear me stumble into that? Yeah, it was, it was I, brilliant. I, I heard it, and then I was like... <laughs> You, you stumbled into it and then you went back and did it again. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wanted to do it again, but with a different <laughs> tone and inflection. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I really, really wish they would separate premium or at least offer premium separate from music, which I, I know why they won't. But if premium family plans and maybe the individual plans eventually are going to rise partially due to music licensing costs like that sucks. And I think they could literally sell premium for eight dollars a month, which is not that much cheaper. And but the why individual. would they? Because they have no reason to decouple the two because if they decouple them, then they're going to show no, just I how agree. few people subscribe only to YouTube music. Right. You're talking from Google's perspective, and I am talking from the user perspective of people want this. I know people want this. They just don't want to pay $12 a month for it. The value of the ads that you don't watch on YouTube in a given month is probably more than $12 to Google. Like, I, I guarantee you, Google actually probably loses money from YouTube premium for the ads alone. Probably. I mean, there was that report over the weekend from platformers Casey Newton about the Twitter Blue stuff and that if they were to cut the ads in half for Twitter Blue members, they would actually, I believe, accounted for like $6 of the $8. Or they, they ended up losing like $2 yeah, $6 per, user, per yes. person. Yeah. Yes. Once you accounted for like app store yeah. uh, fees and all that, it, it was like two. they would lose $2 a person by cutting the ads in half. I am sure it's very similar for YouTube, especially for, I guess, power users is the term I would use for people who, I don't know, sit down and watch a four hour video on a theme park. Who would do that? I would. I would yeah, totally I'll, watch it. Have you watched? I'll send, I'll send it to you if you haven't watched I, it. I'm, really I'm not going to have time for that one, but no. Just I mean, like I, over the holidays. I watched, yeah, you can like, save it. Uh, I watched the cutscene movie essentially for God of War Ragnarok because I wanted to see how sure. that story ends. And those videos were like, the first part was four hours. And then we had yep. some that were like six. And I was like, okay. Not only do I have to break this up, but this is just a lot. Here's something that I, I was thinking about. Um, so I was watching YouTube right before we recorded. And increasingly the recommended video tab or whatever section depending on the t on the screen that you're watching it on is showing me movie trailers and all of these trailers were uploaded to non-official like non-branded accounts we're not talking about movietrailers.com or like ign where i'm sure they have permission to rehost it i'm talking just about like random no-name accounts that are rehosting popular trailers that are watched hundreds of thousands if not millions of times and i'm wondering are these channels monetizing those trailers are they getting paid to to steal views away from the official channels i mean um it, it, it they boggles must my be, mind that like this there is must allowed. be money there because why would you keep doing it if there wasn't like who there's no well because if they post no creative trailers output. that people are looking for and they get tons of clicks from those and that's an easy way to get a click because for most people, we don't care what channel we get or, or what sure. user we get it from. We just want to see the trailer, so we click the first thing. Don't do that, by the way. Just please click on the, the officials. The click that, is only worth anything if it pays you. Well, no, because the more synergy you have for a channel, the more views you get, the more likely your other videos are to be recommended as well. But Daniel, I mean, you can speak to this. Are these channels uploading their own content, or is this they're just hosting? No, it's it's just right. They're just rehosting other other content, right? So I, there must be but money But it's interesting there. that it's being recommended to me. It's not yeah. like I'm seeking this out. It's actively recommending it to me. Like, 
as an example, it was a Picard season three trailer, right? I've seen it on the Paramount channel. I've seen it on the Star Trek channel, but this is just like movie trailer piracy. Like that's you know, the name of the channel or whatever. And I'm like, why is movie trailer piracy allowed to rehost this and monetize it and get 500,000 views on it? It just feels like an oversight unless there's something I'm missing. Like if they're not allowed to monetize it, then what's the point? Like, why are they doing it? Why is it interesting to them? And then like, even going back to the legit sites, like IGN, IGN will host every single trailer you can imagine on its main channel, right? Yep. So you have game trailers, you have movie trailers, Some TV, everything. Yeah. And I'm like, how? Like, why are they allowed to do this? Especially IGN, because they're almost certainly monetizing it. Uh, it, it just it feels off to me somehow. Like this is a part of the YouTube business model that I'm not grokking. Well, I also wonder why the DMCA like copyrighted material. I don't know why that doesn't apply to the trailers because they're publicity materials and they want people to use them because they want more publicity for their movies or properties or whatever. It also cannibalizes the metrics by which the movie, tr uh, the publicity firms and the studios themselves use to gauge interest in a property or figure out whether or not they want to go ahead and start like planning a sequel or figuring out whether or not it needs more marketing or they have enough already and they can just run on word of mouth at, at this point. It boggles the mind because on the one hand, all publicity is good publicity, but at the same time, it's stealing the material. Exactly. Unless it's not. Unless it's just assumed that this is okay because it's essentially an ad. Like you're rehosting an ad. A trailer is just an ad. So maybe it falls under fair use or something because it's copyrighted material, but it's not really the actual copyrighted material. It's just a consolidated version of it or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. To me, that's just what's so weird about this whole thing. Copyrighted material and YouTube, there are just so many things that are just so horribly broken for the wrong reasons and so many things that just need to be corrected because media law on YouTube is a quagmire. Right. And nobody wants to get into it, but that just, but the, it also means that there's a crap ton of money that people are just hauling out of that swamp. So if you guys have any ideas on this, please send it to us, podcast.editorpolice.com. We got to keep moving. We're going to talk about this Dimensity 9200 chip. Uh, it's MediaTek's new flagship. Our own Stephen Schenk is in California right now at the MediaTek Summit. Next week, Will, you're going to be in Hawaii for the Qualcomm Snapdragon Summit. So obviously, MediaTek is becoming more well-known in North America but there are still only a handful of devices released here with anything close to a flagship MediaTek SoC in it. This one, though, is pretty much what we would expect from a next-generation chip. It's got the new Cortex-X3 core. It's got the new Cortex-A715 cores, the, the sort of mid-power chips. And then it's got four Cortex-A510 cores, which are quite old by now, but that's to maintain legacy 32-bit support on Android. It's also got an upgraded ARM Immortalis G715 GPU, which was announced alongside all of these other ARM upgrades for 2023. So, Will, I mean, there's this weird culture around chip announcements, and you'll experience this when you go to Hawaii. Everybody gets real excited, and a lot of it is paid influencer stuff. 
So just keep that in mind. But like, you'll see a lot of people posting about how excited they are about these new chips, right? MediaTek, Qualcomm, whatever. And then you try to get any random person who likes phones to be interested in this, and they just are not. It's just not something that they care about. So I'm wondering, what's your impression of the 9200? I mean, it's faster, it's more efficient, it's blah, 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 Wi-Fi 7 ready. But like, really, is there anything here that stands out to you as being like, oh, this is something worth talking about? Like, am I going to get fired if I'm like, count me in the ladder? <laughs> like, I've already fired you on this on this uh, podcast. Well, that's so just I think a weekly you, tradition. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I mean, go go for it. You've got it's double jeopardy, right? Yeah, that's what you, that's what it's. Called. I think I get rehired if you fire me twice. I think that's how that no, works. I think you get to kill me <laughs> if if you go to jail. Oh, I, I think that's what it is, anyway. Game over. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's always just let me see how it feels on hardware. Let me see how an upcoming device handles the chip. And it's not just processors. Like spec sheets don't do it for me. Maybe they used to, but they certainly don't now. Where it's just like. Okay, this sounds fine, but how many times do we see the Pixel 7 and, and 7 Pro before they launched? And I felt very not excited about those phones. And then I got my hands on them and I was like, wait, these are, especially the, the smaller one actually was like, I was like, these are actually interesting upgrades, which is not a thing you will feel from looking at the spec sheet. You're not going to get that unless you hold it in your hand. And more specifically, you hold it in your hand having had a lot of experience with the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro. I feel the same way about and maybe even stronger about phone CPUs where it's just like, I don't know, like we these chipsets are like interesting on paper and they sound like there will be better performance basically across the board. It's the Dimensity 9200 is ready for Wi-Fi 7, which is crazy because it is a year plus out from us seeing Wi-Fi 7 routers. But glad it's there. That That is good for people buying anything running these phones because it means you'll already be ready for it. Like all that stuff is cool. But until I see real world applications of this stuff, it's hard for me to be impressed with numbers on a sheet. We're not impressed with the processors themselves. Like, yeah, there's not a lot of regular people who are going to be excited about Qualcomm next week, but they are going to get excited about the Qualcomm chip whenever Samsung right, exactly, announces exactly. in like January. Yeah. I 100% like the real exciting thing about whatever Qualcomm announces next week will be when we see the S23 series, which is bound to run on it because they have a partnership. And then we'll be like, oh, wow, this is so much faster and the battery life is so much longer than the S22. I don't know if any of that will be true, but that might happen. And then it's like, okay, wow, this new Qualcomm processor is pretty interesting. And I said CPU a minute ago and I meant processor, but whatever, you know what I mean? But yeah, that, that's where I'm at. I don't know if that makes me not, if, if I have to turn in my like nerd credentials or whatever, but that's just kind of where I am as someone who has used a lot of phones. I mean... I'm somebody who's openly said I hate benchmarks because it oh, isn't yeah, a clear absolutely. indicator of performance. Like the numbers on this sheet aren't what matter to me more than seeing how the software is optimized for the chip, how the hardware yeah. is optimized for the chip. The chip itself can be amazing. But as we've seen from yeah. past Samsung phones, if you don't optimize properly for it, if you don't build properly for it, it's still going to be a disaster. Yeah. Let me see how this translates into new experiences. Like if we're seeing 10 to 12 percent faster raw performance, like what does that mean for when I'm actually using something powered by this? You know, that's really where I'm at. And that's not to say that it's not good to know the general specs of whatever Qualcomm's going to announce or whatever MediaTek announced, but I don't think it matters to most people 
most general consumers of which I'm not, but also that is the perspective I take to when I'm reviewing a, a smartphone. So I also think it's just worth keeping in mind that it's not because these are bad products. No, it's no. that Qualcomm, and I'm talking specifically about MediaTek here, Qualcomm has its jaw around the US market. Like there's so little talk about MediaTek because Qualcomm just owns every part of the supply chain in the US. And it works with the carriers, it works with the manufacturers. Fundamentally, like the carriers are less likely to certify a MediaTek chip because they've been working with Qualcomm. They just know the people, they know the process so well. There are very few flagship MediaTek devices that are 5G compatible in the US for that reason. It's a little different in Europe and Asia, but that's really what it is. It is no fault of MediaTek itself. And it's almost like that AMD conversation. I was going to say, it's very reminiscent of Intel and AMD 10 years ago. And like, as we're talking, the MediaTek Summit keynote is happening, and the company just announced that they are powering the SoC inside PlayStation VR 2. So we're seeing MediaTek being like, all right, we can't own phones. We can't necessarily own two-in-one PCs, because also Qualcomm is doing whatever they're doing there. Let's get into gaming. We're going to power every Peloton in the world. We're going to power every Echo smart display and smart speaker. MediaTek stuff is in a lot of things you might already own, but you don't know it. And it's stuff that doesn't need a lot of power and stuff that tends to cost less because they don't necessarily get to charge the same premium that Qualcomm charges. So I don't know if we'll see this, the 9200 in anything meaningful in the US. I mean, it's certainly not going to power, like it's not like Samsung is going to replace the Snapdragon with a, a MediaTek Dimensity chip anytime soon. No, they've re-upped that partnership like within the last few months. So that's that's not happening. But the ROG Phone 6D Plus, Pro Plus? We already had the 6 Ultimate. Pro. Mm. <laughs> I hate the number of ROG phone sixes there are, uh-huh. but it's it's one of them yep. that has that's powered by the Dimensity Nine Thousand Plus. So anyway, Will, uh, I hope you hate Hawaii. <laughs> I hope it's terrible yeah. and rains yes. every day you're there. No, that you have to come spend on, every at least moment no rain. indoors. Yeah, at least eating no rain. delicious, delicious sashimi. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, we're gonna end it there for today. We're not gonna have a traditional show next week. Will is gonna be. As I said, in Hawaii, um, he's not going to be able to join us live, but we're probably going to do a segment from Hawaii. So we'll figure that out. We'll probably record it separately. And then R and I will either chat ourselves or bring in somebody else. We'll, we'll figure that out. We're building this plane in midair, folks. So until then, you can find Will at Will underscore Saddleberg. You can find R at R Wagco. You can find me at Journey Dan. You can find Jules at Point Jules. You can find all of us at Android Police. Until we talk to you, have a great week. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye. bit more about when and where and how much and all that so walk us through what we know sorry jules you're gonna have to pause for a second while i pull that up are you serious come on you gotta look (laughs) at these things before we start the show
I was okay. I had a meeting at ten with Sarah, and then I had the meeting, the staff meeting at eleven, and then from eleven thirty until like literally five minutes before the pod, I was in a meeting with James and Stephen and the others. Okay. Oh, there's not really much to know here. It's they're all automatic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> all righty. I was shaking just... my head at you here. <laughs> Again, I've been consumed by Black Friday. It no, is no, a miracle no, I've no, read no. anything it's, it's else just, on the It was site. just a funny, it was a funny conclusion to you being like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, there's nothing here. Jules, you could use that as the cold open. I deserve it. Alrighty. Night, night.